G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. My name's Liam O'Donnell and this show will, we hope, truly educate and entertain you with a mission to do a couple of things. Firstly, to blend the world of personal development with pop culture and making the conversation around self-improvement, philosophy, things of that nature far more sexy and more impactful for the masses. One way we do that is through these conversations, either with just myself or with some incredible people that will feature on the show from a wide variety of worlds such as neuroscience, health and fitness, philosophy, business, sports, leadership, and even the entertainment space, which will be very exciting. The second part of our mission is to raise $1 million towards brain injury recovery and brain research, which is very dear to my heart. You can hear more about that on our social channels. In recent years, I've become obsessed with the idea of learning. And not only has this had real world benefits like skill acquisition, and a far more powerful approach to life, but I've bloody loved the process. And my hope with this show is to do the same for you, to add real value, but to help you fall in love with learning again and have a lot of fun along the way. So for now, subscribe and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. Today, we're joined by Olivia Vivian, an Olympian gymnast and a fucking ninja warrior. And Olivia... Before we dive into it all today, and there is heaps I want to get through with you. I think we'll get a lot of value and have, and have a lot of fun, of course. That's got to be one of the cooler job titles going around, a Ninja Warrior. Is that novelty worn off yet or are you oh still pretty God, happy I with it? I swear, I think I just I still do it just so I can call myself a ninja. How cool is that? I'm a ninja. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I reckon 20 years ago, if, if 10-year-old me was told I'd grow up one day to be introduced that way to the world as a Ninja Warrior, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah. No, it's definitely good. Uh, it's it's just sort of shape shifted into this whole obstacle course uh, scenario, whereas you know before traditionally when you think of a ninja, it's you know it's a serious job that that was you know performed in Japan and came from farmers and super stealthy mm. and stuff like that. I'm not quite that level, I've got to tell you. <laughs> There's always room. Hey, uh, I was just watching your performance up the warped wall on YouTube this morning again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that backflip to get up there and oh, holy shit, that's actually outrageous. For anyone who hasn't seen it, make sure when we finish this chat to YouTube her name, Olivia Vivian Warped Wall. It's a pretty <laughs> impressive spectacle. Was that um, Were you planning on attacking the wall that way the whole time or was that a spur in the moment kind of thing? No, so the the first season uh, I was on Ninja Warrior and I had absolutely no idea what it even was. I just flew to Sydney because it was a free trip to Sydney. I actually had no idea what I was doing. They said, you know, we'd be doing some obstacles and so I initially thought it'd be like the show Wipeout. I was like, oh, yeah, Mm. that's, that's cool, just, you know, do some stuff. And then they show you the course one hour before you actually uh, they start, you know, filming. You don't get to try it, you don't get to test it, anything like that. And I just remember looking at this thing and I was like, oh, my God, it's like a super-sized playground. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And somehow I got through uh, all the obstacles and then I got to the what wall and I, I had no idea what I was doing, Liam. I ran into the wall three times like a puppy trying to get up on the couch. Like it was you know, three strikes, red red came on and I didn't advance through the semifinals but something within me was like, this is so cool. Like I want to learn how to do this. I want to perfect this. So I trained really hard at the Ninja Academy in Perth for a year. Uh, they had a wall in there 
would have been good to uh, get some practice on it before season one, mm. but, you know, whatever. You live and you learn and end up, you know, getting the wall and it was so exciting the first time you get it after, like, just thousands of attempts of slipping down. But uh, then I was sort of like, okay, going into season two, I don't just want to do the wall. I want to I want to crush it. I want to, you know, create some moves that's really specky and, It'll capture the, the audience and just entertain, really. I just I love entertaining the crowd. And, uh, yeah, uh, Jake Murray was a, an American ninja and he did this trick um, quite a few years back and I was like, I want to see if I can do it. Uh, so, yeah, did that one on the wall and, yeah, haven't looked back since and every year after I've done a, a different move on the wall to keep it interesting. Well, super cool to, to look at, and there's heaps there. That whole ninja experience we're going to unpack today. Uh, but just just for a sec, Olivia, you sit tight. I'm just going to give the listeners a little bit of an insight into your highlights reel. That'll set the scene for your, that'll set the scene for today. Um, and then also we'll we'll unpack some of the obstacles you've had to overcome, not just in the course, um, but but um, outside the course as well. I know you've had a pretty long list of injuries, mm-hmm. had to struggle with uh, bouts of motivation. I've heard you talk about, which will be really interesting. Uh, but just sit tight for a second, then we'll we'll dive into it. I mentioned a little at the top there, Olivia. Uh, you're an Australian gymnast competing in the 2008 Summer Olympics and also medaled at the 2014 Com Games, and we will unpack that today as well. You're also seven times national champion on the uneven bars, um, and of course now perhaps most well known worldwide even as Australia's first and only female to make it to the grand final in field of both men and women. On Australian Ninja Warrior, and you were top female competitor on Ninja Warrior 2017, 2018, and 2019, if I'm not mistaken, and were 2019 Ninja OCR World Champion. Pretty impressive in and of itself, but perhaps more so when you dig a little bit deeper into your story. I mentioned some of the injuries in that, uh, I think, a broken back, if I'm not mistaken, at one point, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, bouts of complacency. And I think that's where I want to start today is uh, it's too easy to see what you've produced and the degree to which you've been able to condition your body mm-hmm. and assume that you're just one of the lucky ones, one of the rare unicorns that are blessed to not have any challenges <laughs> or any disruptions. And I know you know that's just not the case. Um, let's talk about that. Firstly, uh, take us through some of the challenges that you've had um, throughout your throughout your career, whether it's injuries or some of the mental challenges that come with it. Sure. Um, I'll go through probably my my biggest, um, my few biggest. Uh, yeah, no one ever reaches the top without some diversity. It is, it's never a straight line up. It's always ups and downs, roller coasters, lots of hurdles. Like you said, it's, you know, I'm now just not doing obstacles on the course. There's everyone has their own life obstacles uh, to get over and and learn how to conquer. So, with coming up in gymnastics. Uh, Goodness, which came first? I'd say, yeah, complacency, complacency. And when you're an elite gymnast, you are training, you know, six days a week, twice a day, and the sessions get tedious. They, you know, you, you learn your skills, you put them in your routine, and then you do your routine hundreds and hundreds of times uh, preparing for competition. And so I remember 2015 I made my first world championship team which was amazing and competing on the world stage was inspiring to say the least uh you know I'd been the best on the bars in Australia for many years and then to take it to the world stage and I finished 11th that year on the bars and just to see 
others that were just phenomenal. It was, yeah, it, was, it really drove me. Uh, 2016, I made my second world championship team. and This was more of a team scenario. Uh, we went out, had a great time, and then sort of what happened was I'd made a, you know, I had my spot in the team for two years. I'd been the best in Australia on the uneven bars for years, and I just found that no one was really itching at my heels or taking that spot on the bars from me. And I just, yeah, I I got complacent, you know. At the time, I didn't feel like I was complacent. I would just go into the gym and and do my thing. But what happened was I'd show up to every session and I was there physically, but I certainly wasn't there mentally. Um, You know, we're in high school at the same time. We're doing our exams. Uh, There's a lot of other things going on. You go through puberty. You start looking at the boys and like, hey, you know, so... There's a lot of other distractions and thoughts, of course, that naturally come along in that time of, of your life. And, um, yeah, I just found that I'd get to the gym and I'd do the bare minimum. And if the coach wasn't looking, I was cheating on my numbers and on my strengths. And that became my new routine. And I wasn't eating properly. Like, I swear, KFC and I, we were good buds. Like, oh, Yeah. I- Hey, I got no beef with KFC. <laughs> and we were best friends. And uh, sleep was another one. You know, didn't seem to think I needed a lot of that. And uh, yeah, it was one of those scenarios. I showed up to the the trials for the 2017 World Championship team, and uh, thought I had the spot on the team, and I I missed out. And that was a, a massive slap to the face. And um, you know, the team flew over, and that was the qualifying year for the Olympic Games. And so. If Australia didn't come top 12, um, then we wouldn't even be sending a team to Beijing. So not being there and not having any control in that scenario was quite stressful. Um, I don't think I even watched the competition, to be honest. I was quite sour about it. I was you know, still stuck in this rut that I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, and Australia just scraped through. And from coming, you know, we were placing sixth and seventh the years before and to just scrape through. I think they came 11th or 12th uh, that year. Um, yeah, it was sort of a moment for me. I had to uh, – I saw the psychologist and we, we figured out that, you know, ultimately I was um, afraid to fail and that's – it's the fear of failure is such a big one. I think a lot of athletes have it and they just – it's quite tricky to figure out that you've got it. And so, so yeah, for me I was – you know, doing all these things and just sort of giving 50% every day and, you know, because that Olympic dream and that one spot on a team of six girls, I'd trained 11 years up to this point. And so <laughs> you've put everything into it. You've, it's your only goal. You've sacrificed so much. Um, yeah, the fear of of not making it, I think, was a bit hard. Um, and, you, yeah, you, at least if I'd only given 50%, I'd given myself an excuse, you know. Well, I didn't give it everything I've got um, if I did fail. So, yeah, we sort of had to overcome that uh, scenario and then the hardest part was deciding if I wanted to go in 100%. And because the program, the WA Institute of Sport, they don't mess around. You're either in or you're out. They're not going to waste their time and their resources and the coaching hours on someone that's not going to give it 100%. So, 
I really do you think to. people get stuck in that, like that fear of failure? We hear it all the time, but yeah. it can be, it's a fucking paralysis sometimes, isn't it? Like, and it doesn't just apply to sports. No, um, not at all. In any endeavor. Yeah. So, and sometimes you don't even, you don't even realize you've got it, but you just, you find that your actions are starting to reflect that. Um, and so for me, you know, I thought, I truly thought I was doing everything right. I was, you right. know, <laughs> which, yeah, certainly. Looking back now, I was, wow, that was yeah, it was not your ideal and your perfect idea of an athlete. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, just uh, I did. I sort of had to sit back with the psychologist, and I decided we we decided together um, that I would go in a hundred percent. You know, I just balls to the wall. Let's do this. And as easy as it is to say, like it's flowing out my mouth right now. It was the hardest thing to do it was the hardest thing to change this routine that I was so comfortable with you yeah. know KFC and I had to break up <laughs> oh, <that's... laughs> I I've quit three times I know the teller <laughs> but um keeps coming back I know I've cheated a couple of times don't worry but um that's right yeah it's, I had to focus on my sleep I had to make sure that every time I came to the gym Whatever I had going on outside, I'd leave my baggage at the door and focus 100%. And, and yeah, so I think it was you know, six to seven months later, the trials came around um, and we did this national championships where everyone's gone for a spot and then they take the top 24 to a second trial and then the top 12 from that one go to a third and final trial in uh in Canberra, so we're at the Australian Institute of Sport. Uh, we did a week training camp and then two competitions on the weekend. And this is a closed trial, no friends, no family. It's just your coaches, the the judges, uh, the CEOs of gymnastics, and and yeah, it's very uh, it's intense. It's uh, you know you're trying to train for this week, and at the same time you're looking at everyone else, even though you're supposed to just be focusing on what you're doing and what you can control but you're always looking around and seeing who's ready and you put together teams in your head but no matter what team you come up with you're always on it so it's you and five other girls and uh yeah it's very yeah a very high pressure scenario and that trial was pretty crazy um the first day of trial actually uh, ended up fracturing my navicular bone in my foot i landed incorrectly on the floor but i'm i'm a bar specialist um, I just do the other ones just because. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I've heard you talk about being a monkey. You like yeah, to swing around. I do. It's always been my favourite. And it's one of those things you, you do come up in gymnastics and you train all four events, the bars beam, floor and vault. But every time I got to the bars, because I enjoyed it more, I tried harder. And just over time that, you know, it, I was just a lot better at the bars than I was at every every other event. And, uh, yeah, I, I fortunately... Fortunately for me, I crushed my bar routine and the team really needed a solid bar um, specialist. So that was sort of what I was going for. And then uh, at the end of the two competitions, which were morning comps, by the way, and you're never as good in the morning. Your body is not warmed up properly. Like, ugh. Well, if you're anything like me, I'm cooked in the morning. Yeah. I reckon I, I peak at about 1 p.m. I've got two hours of uh, yeah. my body's on point and then I'm downhill again. So it's nice to know that a, a, an Olympian oh. is also, um, you know, not, oh, yeah. not in perfect health 24-7. Yeah. That's comforting. Yeah. 
when you're 15, 16, you just do what you're told. And you just have to mm. get used to it. But uh, I remember waiting. You waited, we waited around for like six hours in our rooms, in our little dungeon rooms and at the Institute of Sport and felt like six years. And then they took us into a theatre room, so this massive, crazy room, seats everywhere. Uh, the CEO of Gymnastics Australia is announcing the team one at a time and we're all just sitting in 12 seats in a line. I remember the first girl got called up and the second name, the third, the fourth, and I'm still in my seat. And, you know, missing out on the team before, the year before, it's it was a reality. Like this, you know, I don't own any spot on any team. Um, and the fifth girl got called up and, oh, my, man, my mental state was just all over the shop. Just, you know, people said they had butterflies. I had bloody dragons, I'm telling you. It was just the grossest feeling. And then the sixth name got called out and my, it was my name. And it just, oh, fuck, it just went from the worst feeling I've ever had to the best, the, just yeah. uh, such a moment. And then uh, then I found out that they announced it alphabetical by your last name. <laughs> oh, shit. I could have let you know beforehand. <laughs> could have been nice. Well, if, if I clued on to that, you know, I could have picked the last names of the girls and then, you know, it would have annihilated half the girls in the row because they've, they've missed their, their window. But uh, no, nah, I was just sitting there going, pick me, pick me, pick me. <laughs> it's so crazy hearing your psychology around some of these setbacks. Like you, just, you see on TV, obviously, you only get a glimpse of what's going on and mm-hmm. you're full of energy and you're doing all these cool things. You know, um, in the in the ninja challenges and and um, you know throughout the Olympic Games and the Com Games, and as a viewer, you don't see that story be be uh, behind the scenes, I suppose. So that's why I like getting people like you on for a chat is is to pick your brain, and it's super comforting to an extent, and also really motivating to to hear people share their tales, I suppose, of of physical challenges and then also the mental game of because mm. it just becomes a lot more, um, I suppose our own endeavours become a lot more tangible when we realise, like, fuck, not everyone, you know, not all these people, these high achievers are blessed with this, like, yeah. you know, like super psychology. They, they have the same challenges. Just They're just able to work through it in whatever way that looks like. So Yeah, you, very- see, you do. Like, it's, I mean, it is about coming up with tools and having tools, and I'm just so thankful we had um, a psychologist and towards the end, you know, in the early stages, uh, we had a different one. It wasn't you didn't really click with but um and we got one in the later stage and he was just phenomenal and because you do we're, we're just like athletes are, are like everyone else you know we wake up and that alarm goes off we don't want to get up sometimes like we're sore we're tired we've bad days um and it is coming up with tools to to help keep that motivation alive like I stuck the Olympic rings on my ceiling you know I wake right. up you look at the alarm, you're like, oh, fuck, I, can't. I just don't feel like doing it today. And then you look up and you're like, that's why. That's why I'm getting up. So you do have to find ways to keep going and, to, yeah, yeah, there is a lot of does that get <laughs> Does that get harder as your body gets sore? So like, let's just just give us a quick highlight through some of the injuries you've had. So you mentioned um, you broke, was it the – you mentioned yeah. something there. It was an anatomical term that um, I missed, but I only did it half a year of health sciences. But I, I know you broke your back. I mentioned there. So, like, what is mm. what are some of the ailments that you've had to kind of work through? And yeah. um, I, what I want to get to is I've heard you talk about um, some of the work you did with your physio, 
and you're talking, I think it might have been in reference to a knee injury. Yeah. And the physio's advice was basically something along the lines of like, hey, let's make it even stronger than it was yeah. Um, yeah. originally, yeah. right? And I'd love to know have you, how you apply that logic um, to obviously your, you know, the work you do, but then even potentially to life to be able to take um, a setback and then flip the script, change the story and the narrative and, and become even more powerful than you were prior. Absolutely. Uh, I think we, we all have setbacks, whether it's injuries or, you know, just other, other, other shit that goes on. And, um, yeah, when I did my knee, I fully hyperextended it to the point where it broke the other way, <laughs> which is so uncomfortable <laughs> to even just to think about. Ah. And um, a bit of muscle tissue actually got stuck in between the breaks, so I had to go in for surgery. Yeah, the, and this was coming up on my senior year, one year before my senior year. And um, when you do an injury like, like that on a landing, it was on a dismount, um, there's a lot of psychological fear that goes on with wanting to even do that again. Like, can I land again properly? And, yeah, the advice of making it stronger, it gave me a goal. Um, and the, the I think whether it comes to injury or, or just other things, you know, want, you have one setback. And it might put you out of that lane for a little while. Like there were certainly things I couldn't do for, for months, but there's always other things you can do. There's always, you know, I had other strength exercises. I had different flexibility. I had other areas that were necessarily not as strong um, and I had to work on them. And that was my focus. That was what I had to put my energy and my concentration into because I think when we all have setbacks, like for me, I'm incredibly impatient. Like I just want it and I want it now. Um, and so that doesn't happen with rehab and re- with recovery and when you have setbacks in other areas, you might get turned down or you might, you know, not get a job you're after and it's frustrating and it's disheartening sometimes. Um, and I think all of our minds sometimes slip into the the negative thoughts of what we don't have and we're never going to get this and this is hard and stuff like that and it is coming up with other things, um, other tools to help you overcome those obstacles. Um, you know, you've, when you fall, you just, you got to get back up again. Um, and so, yeah, with, with that one, you know, I, I think the physio tells you lots of things here and there, but that piece of advice has always stuck with me just to focus on making it stronger um, than the mm. other one. And it just, yeah, there's certain pieces of advice I've gotten throughout um, throughout my career definitely uh, some click with you and some just they go in one ear and come out the other, which was most of the case. I was an airhead growing up. So, yeah, with that one, <laughs> it was really, yeah, it was, it was my first gruesome, my gruesome um, injury. And then uh, down the track, I, um, I, yeah, tried a new trick that no one's ever done before and I got it and I was super excited because in gymnastics, if you're the first to compete a skill at a world champ for Olympic Games, it gets named after you. So wow. this, this could potentially be the Vivian and I, I got it and I was so excited and uh, we were in America at the time and then I just did one and it just didn't feel right and I was like, oh, because it was a very unnatural movement for the back. And I was okay. like, oh, this is, yeah, okay, I'm just going to stop now. And then we uh, flew back to Perth that, that night and it was the, I think it was the cabin pressure in the plane and it just completely blew my back out and I'd, had um, a fracture and a, a torn disc, and yeah, it was that was uh, that was right before the 2013 World Championships, and that was very disheartening. Um, 
I spent two months laying down on a couch uh, sideways, getting addicted to many different TV series. And, um, yeah, for me, I was sort of, you know, in that back end of my career, um, not knowing if I'd be able to get back again. And uh, as I was recovering and doing all the all the things I was told to, told to do, I started getting this shooting pain down my right leg, like excruciating. Um, and the callus that was forming in my back to repair the fracture started pressing on nerves. Um, and so I then had to see a, a, a back specialist, a surgeon. Apparently he was the best in person. Um, yeah, he told me I'd never return to sport again. And I was like, nah, you don't deal with many athletes, do you? <laughs> yeah, pretty stubborn athletes, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> he was like, you're right, I deal with overweight. Yeah, I'm coming back. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so he booked surgery in a month later and I just, I'm the kind of personality, I'm like, nah, just, I've laid down for two months. Like I, I just need to do something. I'm just, I'm too... Yeah, just itching to do something. So I started doing a bit of training because I was like, well, they're going to go in and fix it anyway, whatever. And uh, that movement uh, in my body and that movement in my spine and my back actually broke off that extra callus. And for the first time in almost seven years, I was pain-free. Like it was a very unique scenario. You know, when people break their back, my advice is not go do some movement and training, you know, you have to do that recovery process. But I yeah. did uh, lay down for two months and um, that was the first time I actually used visualisation as well. You know, before that I thought it was a okay. of shit. Right. <laughs> it's like, I, visualize. I can't do that. I can't visualise my routines and my skills and I just thought it was stupid and every time I tried it wouldn't work and I would do, you know, in my head when you're doing a skill I would always fall on the skill and, I get very frustrated during that process, but um, that was all I could do at the time. And uh, yeah, I got back to uh, training, got back to competition, and uh, ended up making the Commonwealth Games team the next year. So yeah, it was yeah. an intense process, and not not your average one. Normally, when someone needs surgery, they get the surgery, but uh, yeah, not in my case. Super impressive. Hey, so, so let's change lanes a little bit. You inevitably transitioned. To become a ninja warrior, of course. So <laughs> let's unpack that. How does that transition take place? Like, when do you start looking at it? When do you hear about it? Um, when do you sort of start thinking that the the world of gymnastics uh, might be coming to an end for you? Like, how did that all mm. come about? Well, I mean, in Beijing, what well, was two thousand eight? I was nineteen then, Liam, and I was the oldest gymnast in Australia. <laughs> I was the oh, grandma. Wow. I was the grandma. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard that it's a young, yeah. it's a young man or young woman sport, right? It, yeah, it's interesting. Like it, it was. It certainly was, and it was this scenario where you do one Olympics and then you go do other things. Um, this, yeah, it was it. It's interesting to see the pathway and the history of gymnastics because, you know, back in the 50s, 60s and early 70s, it was very much an old woman sport. Well, not old woman, but a fully grown after puberty. Um, yeah. And then Nadia Kamenech was 14 when she won the Olympics and got a perfect 10 and it just changed the game. Romania changed the game and started training gymnasts really young. So that was where that all began and, uh, yeah, it was very much uh, a young teenage yeah sport not many people got into their 20s but uh 
So I was a grandma there, but I signed a full-ride scholarship to Oregon State in America. And after, at 19, after the games, I was cooked. Like I was absolutely fried. It was so repetitive. The pressure is so intense and it beats down on you, not just physically but mentally. And I ended up going to America and thinking that oh, I'm just in it for a free education. Um, but the way that they um, look after athletes there and their mentality around sport and training and competition, it wow, it was it was incredible. Honestly, I learned more in the four years at Oregon State than my whole 11 years in Australia. It was just incredible that the way that they um, they train their butts off and then they use competition as a celebration of all that training um, and they they go to win. It's a very interesting mindset in America. Like they're not just there to to get the free T-shirt, you know. They're there to, to, win, to win the competition and the mentality in Australia back um, as I remember it was sure. we're just there to make the Olympic Games, you know. That was my goal was to be an Olympian. My goal was never to win the Olympics, um, but it's interesting what happens in your habits and your day-to-day when you, go, you we set your goal to win. Um, and so, yeah, it was incredible. But after my four years there, I came back and I just knew I wasn't done. Like I was like, I've still got more. Like I'm, I've fallen in love with this sport all over again. And I came back and I asked to compete at the national championships. <laughs> and here's me. I've I've done two world championships, one Olympic Games. I've asked to compete at nationals again, and they've said, no, you're too old. I was, wow. I was 23 at this point now. and I was, 23? No, just don't worry. I've dealt with doubt. Like some, it, it fuels me more than anything else. Like they initially told me I'd be too tall for the sport. So this is not the first time I've been told no, um, right. but I'm relentless. And when I believe something and when I want it, you just I begged I begged to the point where I was just annoying um (laughs) and so they said yeah okay and I had two weeks uh training and ended up getting my seventh title on the uneven parts so that was yeah a pretty cool moment and then come back I did another world champs and another com games and then again I was just fried it was it's just a different mentality in Australia or it was you know back then and it just yeah it cooks you and I was I was done and then I ended up opening up a cafe and did that for years and was happy and invested and um, stimulated in a completely different way. Um, I remember just getting a phone call. (laughs) I I don't even remember the year it was, but it was a lady and she was like, hey, do you want to come to Sydney? We'll fly you over. I'll put you up um, in accommodation and you'll just uh, do some obstacles for a TV show. I was, standard, like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, sick. I was like, this is amazing. I was in the city. And that's where it, that's where it all began. And, right. and I I hadn't trained, Liam. I was like uh, after just after yeah, the last two years of gymnastics here and you know, breaking my back and everything that comes along with the the journey. KFA and T V shows. Yeah, I just like I honestly when I re- retired and it was was done, you just couldn't get me back in a gym like you couldn't even bribe me to do a yoga class and I love bribes so that's not how I got her on the show so just uh, to, to clarify <laughs> but uh yeah so uh yeah it was that was the the journey that started it all and it fueled this fire and this 
excited competition and this passion all over again and the ninja community and you, you hear it from time to time when you watch the show but it's a community unlike any other I've ever experienced in my entire life it's it's sort of one of these sports and these scenarios where everyone falls Liam every single person has fallen before has fucked up so there's not much room for ego um yeah, okay. in this community and so we all support one another no matter you know even if it's a competition we're all cheering because we have this underlining understand and understanding of how difficult it is and how hard it is and we make it look easy on tv sometimes but it's certainly it's got its own uh challenges that's for sure but it's it's changed my life and yeah it's it's wow. it's interesting <laughs> that's for I, sure. I can imagine that camaraderie would be bloody awesome I, mm. i've heard you talk about as well um just in that transition from you know going from gymnastics to now the ninja warrior stuff i heard you talk about gymnastics over time becoming and you touched on it there as well becoming a little bit monotonous with the Mm -hmm. training yeah and then as a result you lose the motivation i think you know most people listening can probably relate in some way yeah that sense of you know feeling monotonous and sort of the same old same old um and i think you mentioned that you felt like you were training only for the goal or the outcome and you weren't enjoying the process. Yeah. And then I think what I want to talk about now is that sense of play. I had um, had Britt Benici on the show the other day from the Collingwood AFLW and we're talking about just we're talking about just loving what you do and how yeah. important that is and funnily enough, the impact that has on the creative process in the brain and actually getting better at something when you enjoy what you're doing. So did you find that sense of play um, and, and then kind of falling in love with the process again helped with connecting to this kind of new chapter of your life, I suppose. Absolutely, and I like I owe it all to um, you know the first first the show sort of opened this door to this new realm and this new world um, in Australia, and then uh, finding the Ninja Academy in Perth was was game changing. You know, I, I went from someone that. I'd go to work, you know, I'd be working in the cafe seven days. I just loved it, absolutely loved it, but it, it was exhausting. And suddenly I found this uh, this sport and this gym, this community where I would still go train, uh, you know, it started off with one day a week and then two and then three because um, I got immersed into the community and the different um, the characters there and the people and we'd all train together and we'd training was play it really was there was no like here's your program like we had no programs we had no fucking idea what we were doing we were just challenging one another you know and they had these obstacles and when I first went in there I sucked couldn't do half of them um but it was fun going back and trying and trying and learning and growing and um with being other people and supporting them and challenging them and they challenged me and yeah it was um yeah it was game changing in that sense but um Look, yeah, I think there's there's elements to really enjoy what you're doing. I guess it helps and that sense of play. But sometimes life's not like that. You know, it, you can be in a situation or a scenario where it is monogamous and it is um, repetitive and, you know, I've had that with work as well. Um, but, you know, sometimes you lose sight of your goals or you do just become a bit too routine and you feel like you're doing the same shit, same shit, different day. Um, and that can be up to you to sort of reassess and assign yourself some new goals or some daily 
activities or something like that to change it up and to stay motivated and keep fueling the fire because, um, you know, some of us are in a spot where we do generally want to reach a certain goal in what we're doing, but it just, it's a, it's a tough goal and it's, it, uh, it takes a little bit more time. And I think, you know, especially me, I'm, like I said, I'm impatient. I just want things and I want them now. And um, even with Ninja Warrior, um, at the beginning, you know, it was play, it was new, it was all exciting. But what happens when you're in the gym and you complete all the obstacles, you know? And what what happens then, you know, you you now have to find new ways to keep it fun, keep it entertaining. You know, we, we've I've completed all the obstacles and cool, now we throw on a blindfold and see how many we can do blind, you know? So you have to find, and this is not just in the gym, this is in the workplace, this is life, this is within relationships. Yep. Um, what happens when you've completed it all? You just, you've got to be creative and inventive and find new things and, and new communities to help support and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's sort of where we're at now. And with Ninja, uh, I guess so what is the next step for Ninja? Is there like a world Ninja Warrior? Like is there like do you represent <laughs> fucking Earth one day soon and go compete with Martians? Or like how, what's right. the next few steps for um, for you? Like is there is there something that you're kind of working towards now in that space or what does that look like? Yeah, it was uh, well, two years ago um, Australia got invited to do USA versus the world, which in some scenario is, you know, is that world so- – that situation um we went to vegas uh and they no joke they supersize their course like i thought ours was big you go over there and you when you watch the australian show you notice that the pools are built up so the pools are placed on the ground and then the obstacle over it where you go to vegas and they dig the pools into the sand like they dig them down and it just creates so much more height and um these extreme obstacles and uh Australia, we went in and we ended up coming second, which was really cool, uh, our first year there, and we got invited back the second year and I was one of two athletes that got um, a re-invite and I was um, excited to go back and have another chance and uh, we ended up taking out first place last year in Vegas, which was amazing. But uh, there's fun scenarios like that, but then uh, it's interesting because when you think of Ninja Warrior, You've got to learn and understand it's a TV show, Liam. You know, it's it's not the national championships of Ninja. Um, that's, you know, we've got other leagues that, that fulfil that sort of requirement. Um, and as, you know, as you've mentioned earlier on, there was the OCR, which was the World Championships of Obstacle Course Racing. Um, but that's a different league. But the TV show itself, you know, we compete. They start the show at 9:30 p.m. We don't stop recording till 4 a.m. Sometimes 5 a.m. It's you know one of these scenarios where it's pitch black, so they can control the lighting and the sound, uh, the crowd, in everything that goes on with a TV show. They they select, they personally select the athletes to be on the show. There's no qualification process. You can't just you know, win yourself a spot on the show. Um, it's all selected and half of that is story. You've got to have a good story um, to back that up. So it's, yeah, it's a different process. You don't get to try or train on the obstacles. 
um, it's it's it has its own sense of pressure. Whereas before, I was used to competing in gymnastics, and we practiced our routines a thousand times, and the pressure came from doing it when the the green light was on. Whereas this one, you step up to the <laughs> you step up on the platform, and I'm looking at these obstacles, and I'm like, fuck, I don't even know how that's going to feel. Um, and so, yeah, you have to do a lot more visualization and different techniques and. You don't really know when you're going, so they don't tell you your order and so you don't know when to be warm or warm up and, yeah, it's a very different scenario to elite sport um, in itself. But totally, I'm still like it's still I, I want to be the first female in the world to win it. Like, I want to win the show. Um, and so I set that goal a couple of years ago after season two when I my goal was just to backflip on the warp wall. That was my goal, and I ended up qualifying into the grand final um, and being in the top 30, and that was like, wow, why am I just setting my goal to beat an obstacle? Why don't I set out to win the show? And ever since I did that and committed to that, um, yeah, my habits sort of changed. Just as I said earlier, you sort of manifest this new routine towards your goal. But, uh, yeah, it's a different world, that's for sure. So the the warped wall. Just to go back to that again for a second, I, I heard you describe it as like uh, wanting to own that obstacle. I think mm. that's really interesting, and it gives you that sense of empowerment yeah. instead of sort of running in the other direction. Um, you kind of alluded to it, but season one, you, you made a meal of it. Didn't work out too well. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Hopefully, you don't mind me saying that. But then season two. You know, different story. So, um, yeah, and, and when you were referencing that, I heard you talking about wanting to own that obstacle. And I suppose from a real primitive sense, the way I look at it is kind of that, having that that mindset of, oh, shit, to a fuck yeah. And, yeah. and just sort of, it just changes the energy and the psychology and even the, the neurochemistry of what you're experiencing to then attack the obstacle. Like what – did that come naturally to you to want to own what's in front of you as opposed to run the other way or is that – sort of no. a, a mind that you've cultivated. Yeah, it was, and this was a, a technique or just a, a mindset because many, a lot of ninja is definitely mental and mindset. And um, it, like, I came from Oregon State actually because um, back in the college gymnastics system, they're still going out of 10. And when you have a routine that's out of 10, it comes down to quality and height and amplitude. And um, a lot of the gymnasts, we do the same skills in a sense. So it's sort of like, well, if everyone's doing a Jaeger, which is a skill where you release the bar, do a flip, catch the bar again, um, if everyone's doing that, how are you going to make your Jaeger stand out? You know, what are you going to do to make yours different? And so that mentality came in with Ninja. The warp wall is always there. It's there every year. We know we, we don't know what obstacles are there except for the warp wall. They always have a warp wall and they always have that fuck off Mount Midoriyama rope climb <laughs> that is just at stage four. It's, it's just so next level retarded. Um, it looks pretty tough. It's so tough. And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of that warp wall is there. How am I, if everyone's doing it, how am I going to stand out? And especially because it's a TV show, you know. What are you mm. going to do to make sure that you're on every single promo? So, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where that mentality came from. Now, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a specialist on the warp wall. I, uh, if, if the original warp wall, I, can, I know I can get up it. I trained my legs enough doing stairs. But you put it in a mega wall, no, 
I still have chicken legs. There is a reason I was a bar specialist and I prefer upper body stuff. But um, I know I can get up the smaller wall and I just do a different trick. Like I just get up it and get over it in a different way that's entertaining and it's fresh every year. And, um, yeah, I just I, I like to stand out sometimes where I can. That's super cool. So let's talk about the conditioning. How much of it is, uh, I guess, specific, tailored physical physical conditioning? How much of it is more just skill acquisition? How much of it is diet? Mm. Um, for anyone listening that maybe well, potentially they might want to, you know, get to the levels that you're at in terms of your conditioning or maybe they're just starting a, you know, a process of improving their overall well-being. Um, for you though, what um, – yeah, what are the what are the percentages look like of importance with your conditioning? Uh, look, when it comes uh, to physically, uh, or when you set your goal up pretty damn high, um, you find that you you need to put a lot more in, and it's it's such a crazy sport where there's so many obstacles that need you need agility, you need finger strength, like you need to do cliffhangers, you need rope climbing strength, you need aerial awareness, you need to know how to swing and catch obstacles that you've never caught before. You need the skill of doing the obstacle the first try because, like I said, we don't get to try these obstacles. So, you know, doing your first turn is a skill in itself. So there's so there's such a range in the catalogue of, of training. Um, so I just sort of picked up a bit of rock climbing. I try and do a little bit of gymnastics here to here to because that's really good for aerial awareness. Um, lots of upper body. I do hit sessions because you're doing multiple obstacles in a row. You're not just doing one. You're now wanting to connect nine of them. So you've got to have that cardio. I can hate cardio. Like you ask me what my biggest fear is, it's cardio. Like, oh, like. Oh, I hate me. cardio. Oh, my God. I just, you know, but you've got to do it. You won't catch me running. I'm not a runner. No. <laughs> Very catch- few people are like. I feel like the people that enjoy cardio are just mm, odd. Just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like swimming, biking, anything cardio, I just love. So I do F45, the hit sessions, because I'm like, sure, that's cardio, but it's got a different range, which I need to be stimulated by different things. And, um, yeah, make sure I keep up with a little bit of a stretching routine. So, like, physically, there's. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be the best, you know, you've got to practice a big range. Um, but mentally that's where it comes in. That's that's probably the hardest aspect and the one that people overlook in all sports. Um, Absolutely. That mental, the visualisation became very important because we see the course and we don't get to try it. So now we have to visualise how we're going to get through it, what it might feel like, the movements, like what foot you're going to place first. Because uh, those the first couple of schools, yes, if you start off with the wrong foot, your direction will be in the water. So coming down and planning exactly like that through visualization, and then um, you know if you are, I think this is, gosh, well, we just finished filming season four, and then we, you know, the COVID was at full swing. Um, we came back in isolation. Fucking Rona. Yeah into quarantine it was very interesting um to see how that uh you learn something you know you, you, we're constantly learning new things as humans as we as we grow and as we go through our journey but um I did two weeks of just like I laid down on the couch Liam I was the laziest fuck ever I was eating all day watching Netflix like just doing the normal Rona but uh 
mentally. <laughs> the normal Rona. Normal Rona. And uh, it, it crushed me mentally. I was so down. I was just like, what am I doing? I, I need a bit of a purpose. I need a little bit of direction. Like even, you know, I'd lost my job. Um, mm. So I just I needed something. And um, Ben and I, my partner, created like vision boards. Um, mm-hmm. And I used to see it that on Oprah and I was like, oh, it's a load of crock. Uh, and I was like, no, nah, we'll just give it a go. I mean, bought whiteboards um, and wrote up some ultimate goals, some, you know, little oh, wow. slightly easy ones and then daily goal like or a daily routine. Um, and so even they were in quarantine and we're just homestay and stuff like that, which I just created a bit of a daily routine for the morning to set the day up and uh, it's funny how that can just help with your uh, your mental state and give yourself a little bit of purpose even in a time where we feel a little lost. Um, so yeah, yeah, just on that, that is like I've been having conversations with people just on air and then also off air, and I I'm super passionate about that idea of purpose. I think it's one of the pillars of mental well being, and yeah. yeah, bloody COVID. If one of the one of the worst things that's happened is people where they've they've lost their job or whatever it might be, their routine's disrupted. They lose that sense of purpose, like getting up in the morning, like what the fuck am I doing all this for? And as soon as you lose that, you're in strife. Um, and I wish I had all the answers because not everyone has that main objective that they're working towards right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish there was a universal answer, but in terms of what to do when, but in some way, I think people listening. If you're feeling a bit flat, it, yeah, connecting to that sense of one something that's enjoyable in and of itself, so you enjoy the process and have that sense of play. But then also having like that goal, that outcome that drives you, yeah, and a sense of purpose is just huge. Absolutely, just, you feel so much better. We all need purpose, honestly. Like you, sometimes it can feel like people are expecting too much of you. Sometimes you feel a bit crushed by that weight. But I think we all thrive off feeling wanted, feeling needed, feeling like we have something to do, we're something we're aiming for, we're, uh, you know, because, you know, real, there's billions of us. Like are we just little, you know, purposeless little ants just working in these machines sort of things? But, no, we all feel like we are contributing to something larger. Um, yeah, it's, and it's hard when you lose that. It can really take quite a big effect and, you know, I've gone through that a couple times and I think it's one of the biggest things especially with athletes, um, they have, you know, that post, um, post-Olympic depression, they call it. Right. Um, yep. And I think it's the same with any big competition or any athlete that retires from something. We go from training, we were doing 32 hours a week, you know, and so you go from committing so much of your time, your energy, your focus, your purpose into this big goal and then you retire and suddenly you've got 32 hours of free time and free time is killer. It's just a killer of a lot of things. Oh, <laughs> idle hands are the devil's playbooks. It's yeah. uh, like nothing wrong with chilling and I'm all for it, that rest and digest and slipping back into the parasympathetic nervous system and healing your body. I'm all for that. Yeah. But um, that sense of idleness, ugh, it's fucking nasty. It's dangerous. It, it is. Um, and sometimes, you know, we, we don't have a choice or, you know, you feel like you don't have a choice. Um, right. And, yeah, I just I think there needs to – if there's not already, there needs to be uh, a bit more support for elite athletes that are about to enter that stage. And for me, I was, I consider myself so fortunate this opportunity when I actually broke my back. My mum's a real estate agent 
and she, you know, she's a she's a tough woman. She came up. She's like, look, there's this deli, and uh, you know, it's gone up for the lease is over, and you know, in like twelve to fourteen months, why don't you take over a deli? Why don't you run a deli? And I, I majored in exercise, sports science, and new media communications. I had never done a day of hospitality in my life. <laughs> I slept on it, and I was like, mm, well, I could, you know, I like the idea of coming up with, you know, my own thing and being creative and, um, and yeah, it was just <laughs> one of these things. So I, the next day I was like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's just do it. I had no idea what I was that. doing, but I was like, oh, whatever. And, um, you know, ended up did returning to gymnastics and we had to renovate on the place anyways. And um, so for me, when I retired, I jumped straight back into this full-time owning a cafe, running a cafe, like for me, I did did not have, I had the opposite of idle hands. So for me, I considered myself so fortunate that I didn't really experience that, that post-Olympic depression or that, you know, that, that elite career into, into nothing, um, what feels like nothing. So for me, I was like, the others aren't, aren't so much. And I've, I've seen a lot of friends go through some really tough times um, it, it's all it's all a learn a learning and a growing experience regardless it's just not easy it's not fun it is interesting to look back and hindsight's a wonderful thing um mm. and, and the keys to learn and adapt right uh, i feel like i feel like i could pick your brain for hours olivia but um, <laughs> i'll wrap it up I'm, i appreciate you carving out some time um and if anything it's just super super interesting like i said a couple of times to hear um someone like yourself that Obviously, it's in fantastic shape. You know, you've been able to uh, accomplish some really, uh, really cool stuff. Uh, but then to hear you talk about the challenges and the setbacks and the psychology that comes with it all, it's mm. just, it is, it becomes a lot more relatable and really comforting and encouraging for anyone trying to just move forward in their life to go, all right, fuck, like these people that we aspire to, they're, they're not, um, yeah, they're not perfect in every way and we all have the same challenges in different ways yeah. and the, the key is to learn and adapt, right? And I think some of what we've said should help with that psychology of, of where people move forward from here. So yeah, super absolutely. interesting. I mean, I'm tr- even right now, I'm. it's what, almost 11 a.m. I'm still in my jammies, Liam, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah. I'm still <laughs> like a lot of people right now that, um, yeah, if I could give, you know, anyone some advice, it would definitely um, – create a vision board or create some goals, um, yep. not just your larger ones but your smaller ones, your process ones, um, just to give yourself a sense of purpose um, and direction and just make that a little bit clearer um, and then tell some people or, you know, get a little bit of a support crew around you um, to help hold you accountable, um, check in with people, especially, you know, during these times. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey that we're all on. <laughs> it certainly is you may as well enjoy it mm-hmm. thanks again uh, i really appreciate you taking the time it was awesome to chat again any listeners make sure you watch that video of olivia on youtube it's fucking nuts i think it's it's got plenty, it's got millions of views now it's um it's it's it's, it's been interesting to see where the because the, the show puts them up um after and like my first run my first run ever was the clearly you'll see that I'm not the most fluid. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. I'm also wearing white, Liam. Like one, I'm already white. I'm a redhead. Like let's just get the full ghost on. And then how silly, like if I'd fallen in the water, what happens to white clothing when you go in the water? Like 
Ooh, there you dangerous. go. Lucky, luckily, I didn't fall, but yeah, that was, that was <laughs> the most used. Like, I another reason was, for, for half the population to tune in for mm, the next couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah, season four should be out end of July, early August. I know it's coming soon. It normally um, comes on after The Voice, and we're very excited. It's different. Um, there's new elements this year, and uh, it's obviously, you know, we started during the hit of corona so as the show goes on you notice less and less crowd and yeah, yeah. it's it's a tough one but uh it should be a good season well again thanks heaps olivia um, hopefully we stay connected in the future and oh, yeah. um pre- yeah. appreciate you sharing what you have i do like if anyone is going through um some hard times and just was just some unique scenarios out there i always try and uh, offer a bit of help anyone can get in touch um, with me through my Instagram just send me a DM I do end up looking at all of them um, eventually but uh yeah you know I've gone through some stuff and others you know I like to to help where I can so yeah feel free to get in touch I love that that's so amazing so what's your handle how do people connect with you oh, it's just Olivia Vivian it's not that hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice and easy thanks again Olivia of course thanks Liam <laughs>